We have a city that has tremendous natural resources and most of its citizens don't know about it. And that seemed like the problem. Another potential problem was that if we don't recognize and value what we have, we won't have it anymore. Hey everyone, welcome to episode four of Vermontrepreneur. I'm Jordan Rowell. And today on the show, we're going to be talking to Zoe Richards, the director and driving force behind Burlington Wildways. Before I introduce Zoe, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to the show so far. We launched the podcast exactly one month ago today. So the honeymoon days are kind of over. We're starting to enter a more long haul mentality of this thing. And I wanna make sure we're doing the best job we can of covering the stories of Vermonters who turn their ideas into something real. So if you haven't already, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, and share the show with your friends. Okay, I just wanted to put that out there. Now back to Zoe. Zoe's story is different than anyone else we've had on the show so far. And that's because she didn't start a business. She didn't quite start a new nonprofit either. Instead, she was able to identify a problem and take the first steps to solving it by bringing the issue to her city council and getting organizations that already existed to join forces. She took something that she saw as broken and found a way to rearrange the pieces to make it work. And sometimes that's harder to do than starting from scratch. When you start a business, in some ways you have a lot of liberties to make executive decisions. You spend a lot of your time trying to convince people that you're right and that your thing is better than what already exists. But in Zoe's case, when she was presenting a collaborative approach to small nonprofits and city government, that wasn't going to work. She had to find a way to lead these different stakeholders to a mutual conclusion on their own. And that takes a lot of finesse and patience. But just like a business, it still takes someone with a vision and a deep belief in the idea to keep pushing it forward. Zoe believed in Burlington Wildways in part because of the experiences she had in the urban wilds of her own neighborhood as a kid. Like many of the other guests we've had in the show, Zoe developed a deep connection to the outdoors at an early age. This connection to the natural world is something that, as we know now, would ultimately inspire Zoe to try and recreate that connection for the people around her. But at this point in her story, it's the connection that would bring her to Vermont in the first place. Well, let's see, my mother was always a great outdoors person. She had spent, after she left France, um, because the Germans invaded Paris, she ended up going to Scotland to live with a bunch of her family. She spent a tremendous amount of time hiking outside. So we, were, she, my mother was very organized, so we always went hiking every Saturday. Was, because she worked full time, which was unusual for, I think, um, you know, the early 70s, she was also very organized in getting her kids outside. So we 
you know, did every walk we could possibly do in Connecticut. Uh, we spent it, you know, days at the beach, and we just spent a lot of time sort of outside exploring. Yeah, I would call the wilds of Connecticut a kind of urban, suburban wilds, you know. Um, and then, actually, in high school, I actually attended the mountain school in Versher, Vermont. And that's a one-semester program for high school students. It had been a four-year school, but that model, kind of an alternative school, had really fallen apart. They had had a hard time. It was kind of a back-to-the-lander experience. They'd had a hard time attracting students. So it reopened in 1986 as a one-semester program for high school students. Um, at that time, it was pretty unusual to do something like that in high school. Um, and so I went the first year that it ran. And I remember, actually, they came to talk uh, at our school to try to attract kids to the program. And I remember thinking, oh, I'll never get in. Everybody's going to want to do this. And they asked you to stay behind at the end if you, uh, if you were interested. And I thought the 100 people who'd gone to the presentation would all be there. But no, nope, place cleared out. It was just me and one other kid. <laughs> you know, it was you, you took all your normal classes, but they had a real focus on land. So when you studied English, it was literature in the land. It was on a running farm. Students did a lot of the labor from the farm. We ate the food. We lived in a small community. Well, there, there was a lot of just place-based learning. So just sort of learning and understanding what was around you, something that I'd always appreciated, but really sort of hadn't applied kind of more sciencey mind too and uh, just to be in such a stunning physical location too the mountain school is perched on a hill um, in Versher Versher is fantastically beautiful so yeah it's a beautiful part of Vermont I guess that's considered like the uh, is that still the northern Piedmont or getting into like the northern uplands yeah, in there. yeah 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 um, yeah so at the end of that semester you wanted more I yes take it. yes so yeah. how did you get more well, um, I ended up actually was, uh, working for the Appalachian Mountain Club in the summers um, in New Hampshire. I worked for them for three years. After that, I worked on a farm for many summers in New London, New Hampshire, and uh, really just, uh, you know, really started to take up, especially in early college, hiking really seriously, um, camping. And, uh, and, and I had a great interest in biology, so I think it was really a nice mesh for me to start thinking about how do you apply, you know, general interest in biology sort of to the natural world. So you ended up teaching at the Maine Coast School yep. uh, for like six years, yes, right? Yes, yes I did. Yep. Um, so you were inspired as a, you know, as a student at a similar program. Yep. Um, did, did you want to teach? Did you see yourself while you were at the mountain school? Like, I'd really like to work at a school like this and do this type of work. I'm not sure that I ever actually saw myself as a teacher, um, but I, I had enjoyed the program so much and I was really genuinely interested in natural history. I mean, I think I always thought it was kind of on my way to doing something else, um, but it was a great community and really fun. Um, and I think it was the first time I had sort of lived in such an intentional community. And I really enjoyed that, especially as a, as a young person. I mean, it's pretty intense to teach students who you don't have long-term relationships with. You have them for a semester. So you've lived this very intense experience and then, boop, they're off. Um, and that does eventually wear on you. <laughs> so what sort of, I don't know, what sort of experiences did you have at the Maine Coast School that challenged you? You know, I think the most challenging for me was not the social piece of it, not bonding with the students, doing really fun stuff with the students. I think it was being an effective teacher, actually, and recognizing 
the limits of my knowledge and the, a lot of these kids were pretty motivated and so I, I it's really what drove me to go back to graduate school was realizing that I wasn't really the I could have more mastery of my topic and I would be a more effective teacher if I had that so that led you to UVM that's right here in Burlington yeah uh, and what did you do your graduate study in um, I did a master's degree in wildlife and fisheries biology with um, now retired emeritus Dr. David Capen. I actually really focused in on songbirds. Okay, so what what work did you end up doing after after getting your master's? I ended up actually uh, staying right at UVM, and I did a lot of research work up there with Dave Capen. And we, um, it was really very uh, general conservation work. There were lots of institutions that come to the university, which has expertise to answer a bunch of questions. And I got kind of got paid to do that kind of work. For example, things like, you know, the Ethan Allen firing range is required to um, do an inventory of what they've got on the range, um, biological. So we, in the spatial analysis lab where I worked, would do that work for them. And yeah, lots of, you know, lots of time. Uh, you know, a lot of the, there's a lot of preparation in work like this. So there's a lot of, like when I studied the uh, herons up at Missisquoi, there's a lot of time actually getting the three miles out to the delta of the Missisquoi River and a lot of boat maintenance and <laughs> bad winds and, uh, but also just, amazing experiences of just getting to um, be quietly in the presence of these other these amazing species you know it was totally spectacular like I had a little blind that I used to do some of my research work from and I remember just watching you know bowfin swim underneath it and just amazing lake experiences you know seeing gar um, long-nosed gar like like you can see at the echo center just swimming you know through the through the wetlands pretty awesome so you got the opportunity to have some pretty intimate experiences with yep. the natural world yep. in vermont yeah you were you know all over lake champlain and up in missisquoi national wildlife refuge so after working at uvm for a while you took a little bit of time off from your career right to start a family yeah yep well i had already started a family i just was growing and i just was it was more you know <laughs> I think I was losing money working, <laughs> as far as I could tell. Because <laughs> you either have to take care of your own kids or pay somebody else to do it. And um, it depends on how much you get paid as to whether it's worth paying somebody else to do it and whether you want to do that, you know. Did you get, does that mean you got the opportunity to um, share the experiences with your children uh, that you had as a kid? Did you get the opportunity to take your kids out into the wilds of Burlington, whether they were in a stroller as they were first able to walk. Yeah, definitely. And I think in particular, you know, we, um, both my husband and I were avid hikers um, and um, backpackers when we were younger. It's not a great thing to do with little kids. It's pretty grueling. Um, and actually, um, we've really become, as a family, really interested in canoeing. Um, and because canoeing is such an amazing way you're not on trail you're kind of off trail without it being it's if, if you do long canoe trips there are moments of grueling as you portage and move from place to place but um but it's uh it, it's a, for me it's a 
it's a it's a quieter way to move through the wilderness and I think you get a more wilderness experience so we've done a lot of that with our kids right, so during the time that you were uh, really focusing on raising your kids and you know getting them to have a, a positive uh, upbringing with the outdoors did you know when you were outside canoeing or walking around with them did you start to miss looking at the um, the natural world in a more professional way? I mean, did you, did you miss doing that work? Well, um, I did miss doing that work. And I think one of the things that I really started to become interested in is, you know, some of the research work that I did at UVM would identify issues, problems, threats. And I became a lot more interested in how you solve some of those. And I wasn't sure that the research ever made that next step. And I wasn't sure that that you that there was ever that connection between sort of knowledge and action, knowledge about a problem and then action to resolve. Um, and I became a lot more interested in the action to resolve um, uh, part of that. Was there any case that you remember learning about the problem and, and uh, wishing, you know, having an idea for the solution or wishing there was a solution? Well, I think actually um, I, I can't say specifically. I did know that I did a lot of um, reports for large institutions that were mandated to have, um, that, that were mandated to account for their natural resources, um, potential threats. And I felt like you'd spend a lot of time doing the research and doing those reports, and then shh, the mandate was done and they were on the shelf. And, um, and then I was really interested in the fact that when I did join the Burlington Conservation Board, which is you know, a, a, an advisory board to the Planning Commission in Burlington, that when we would see um, development projects, really a lot of what was known about conservation-related issues didn't really come to bear on that process, and I was very interested in that too. Like, how do you work within democratic city systems you have to make change? Sometimes the system is broken and it needs to be changed, um, but sometimes those systems are slow and democratic. So how do you make true progress through slow and democratic systems? Um, and that, that's really been a lot of my focus and interest area. Can you tell me about what made you want to you know, join that world and join the Burlington Conservation Board? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually believe that it's a place of action. Working to help a city help itself is, is, a, is a place of action. We have a city that has tremendous natural resources and most of its citizens don't know about it. Um, and um, that seemed like the problem. Another potential problem was that, um, that if we don't recognize and value what we have, we won't have it anymore. Um, one of the great strengths of Burlington is it's, is it's genuinely diverse population um, and meeting of many cultures. So how do you make sure that those experiences are open to people, all people of all backgrounds and all racial and ethnic backgrounds, but also all socio socioeconomic backgrounds? How did you start working on these ideas? Well, first I talked to a lot of people about it, um, just to try to outline what I saw was an issue. I just got their opinion on how you move forward. That was really, really helpful. It's kind of going on a listening tour a little bit. And then making, and it helped me make a, a more effective case that there was that there were some issues that we needed to collectively work on, um, because you know I don't own the land, I can't I can't make those, you know I can't say you need to do this, um, and um, instead it's just sort of 
grow a movement from the ground up. So some of the really good advice I got was, you know, if you want a city to do something, make sure you get the city to tell itself to do it, um, which is kind of an obscure thing to say. But, you know, we started out by getting a city council resolution. Um, and so y you can think of those as having no teeth because the resolution didn't require the city to do anything that cost money, but it is a spiritual direction for the city. And then you can use that unanimously passed resolution by the city council to help encourage institutions that already want to work on this work, they feel like they have a mandate to do it. it. It allows them to do the work they already want to do. Burlington is an amazing place. So by any measure, even though it's an, an urban area, it, it's 50% open space. So that, you know, it's a city of 40,000 plus. It's a metro area of 100,000. We have a lot of open space. Comparable cities of our size do not have this much open space. We have these amazing wild and natural borders with the Lake Champlain on one side and the Winooski River on the other. We have the Winooski River to thank for a lot of that open space because we've got a lot of floodplain that we can't develop anyways. Um, but uh, in the past, it's certainly not been considered a sort of lovely wilderness area. It's been a car dump and all kinds of things like that. So we, we, have, a, we have a recovering industrial history. We have um, a lot of open space and we have amazing ecological resources. We have uh, lots of rare and endangered species. We have lots of unusual natural communities, amazing wetlands that are super, super productive within the city because we're at the Delta of the Winooski River. To not have our residents know, value, and tell that story um, is, a, is um, something that we're out to change and, and, and a gap, a big gap. And, you know, we teach our children in schools. We, we spend a lot of time, my kids are learning about penguins, um, which are great, but they don't know a single thing about amazing stories in their own city. <laughs> That's something to sort of bring up the awareness of the natural gems that we've got in the city was really a driver for me. I'm not alone in that goal. So recognizing that I'm not alone in that goal and making people see that they want that too, um, bringing that up, I think it was a, a really important part of this. So for example, let's just take the parks department. They own a parcel, which they call Mackenzie Park in the middle of the Intervale, but it's kind of landlocked around other people's property. So they can't make a trail to Mackenzie without working with all these other partners. Even when they aspire to do that, they need a format to make that kind of stuff happen. So we formed Burlington Wildways to make sure that all this work that I think most of the landowners wanted to do anyways, they could do effectively because they had the partnerships with everybody who owned the land around them. I guess this is a good time to ask about the organizational structure of this. You had, you know, just sort of had an idea started talking to people, brought it up to city council, and now you had a resolution. That didn't necessarily mean that you had uh, an organization. I mean, when when did that happen and when did this, you know, become uh, a more tangible thing in which you call yourselves today Burlington Wildways? Yes, that is a great point. There was kind of a weird netherworld where we had no idea what this was. Is it an initiative? Is it a partnership? You know, who's in charge? Is there any authority? Could we raise money? If we did, how would that work? You know, that was a process. We decided we were an initiative originally. We started just meeting the major landowners, those folks who I discussed you know, because all the, while these institutions have shared values, not all their values are shared. They have different missions. And so how you make sure that you're, you're meeting 
that you're aligning where you have the shared interests is a lot of the work that we do. So we just generated these huge lists of names and we, we, we came up um, with the Burlington Wild Ways. Um, and we liked the idea that it might be the name of a trail and an experience, you know? <laughs> what is it? Is it, a, is it a trail that we're gonna generate? Is it a sort of experience? Is it a series of projects? Yes, and we feel like the name fits all of that. Did you need money? What were you trying to achieve and how were you going to achieve it? Yes, so, um, I mean, one of the great things is when you're a partnership between organizations, you really have a lot of infrastructure in place already. So, for example, if you're, if you're hoping, you know, between the parks department, all these other departments, you, there are things like tools and trucks and paid people. So as an organization, you're not really necessarily figuring out you're, you're not, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. That doesn't mean that we didn't need some level of funding. Um, so for the last three years, we have gotten city council initiative funds, but we also, we've had uh, an angel donor who um, believed in us and set us up with two years of funding, of seed funding to get us off the ground. What did that mean for Burlington Wildways to have you be able to be paid for the time you were putting in? Yeah, I think it means that you know, I think for the long run, it means that it's an institution that will stay. Um, and it may take different forms. So you, you can decide to form a nonprofit, but those take a lot of work. You have to maintain them. You have to have a board. Um, they're expensive to run, and the administration of that is expensive. We're organized under another nonprofit, um, which is the Winooski Valley Park District. They're both a municipal entity, and they have a nonprofit arm. Um, and so we're considered a program of them. So we share their board. Um, and um, we pay a little bit of overhead to them, but they do all the administration for me. So I'm liberated to not do that. It's very slick in a way. And, you know, I can imagine a world in which sort of the Burlington Wildway and Burlington Wildways exists, but it's not the same organization that it was. So if we solve the problem, the, the landowners already exist, right? Um, so if we solve the problem of connection, conservation, Maybe it'll one day be housed as a program under the Parks Department. Sometimes you got a lot of potholes in the street, so you have to form an organization to fill the potholes. But once your potholes are filled, you don't necessarily need the structure anymore. So that, 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 I like that radical idea, that, that you're not, it's not all about the formation of your thing. It's actually about solving the problems. <laughs> so what problems are you solving today with the Burlington Wildways? What work are you doing on the ground? One of the things that we're working on is trail which I think of as both recreation and conservation. Um, so we have this trail called the Burlington Wild Way that connects a lot of this. We have a big central part of the city that is mostly green. Um, and this trail is making its, we're getting agreements to run this trail called the Burlington Wild Way. A lot of it is on trails that already existed, but there wasn't good signage. You didn't know how to get in and out of them. You didn't know where you were. You didn't know where you were going. So we've had this one connected set of signage. So we're right now, last September, we opened our first section of the trail. We should, by the end of this fall, have another section open, four and a half miles. So we'll have a total, it'll be nine and a half miles total. And I like to think of trails as an opportunity for people to get into the outdoors, but they're also an opportunity for conservation in that you want trails where you want them. You want to have less trails, less social trails, um, and trails where they ought to be that are, um, that are located with ecology in mind. 
and and it, you're really inviting lots of people onto the trail but maybe not you're, you're maybe not inviting them off the trail everywhere and that allows other kinds of citizens of burlington animals plants to also flourish so i guess all i have left for you at this point zoe is uh what's next for burlington Wildways? um let's see what's next there'll be another section of connected trail you can look for some other sections soon um you know, with our partners, we're, we're starting to work on um, more ways for citizens to be involved. Um, we've done a big inventory of invasive species in the Intervale, and we're looking at ways to sort of manage some of the invasive species in some areas, kind of collectively. Um, we are, um, there's an initiative that's coming both out of the Parks Department and us called Grow Wild, which is where we're looking to encourage people to plant native plants in their in their own yards and this both provides habitat for pollinators and and not just for pollinators but for insects in general which are the base of the food chain which leads to better bird populations so there's a lot of ways that you can participate um, in terms of making the city um, a better place for wildlife to thrive i think our parks department is done an amazing job in sort of shifting how we think about some of our landscapes. They've started to have areas where they don't mow as much, which are real um, positive climate initiatives. Um, they let native species grow up, sort of changing our experience in what we think is a beautiful park that provides cover and habitat and pollinator habitat. Um, so we're, we're working on some initiatives in that too. I guess I have one more thing. What would you say to somebody that uh, has an idea isn't necessarily somebody that would want to start uh, a business or, or form uh, their own nonprofit, but wants to be a part of their community and take action through you know, local government. What advice would you give to somebody like that? I think it's really important to talk to a lot of people um, who you think are associated with your issue or cause and actually do a lot of listening um, and be really flexible. You know what I thought I was doing initially. I think I started out thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna solve this problem by joint by creating this group called Friends of Burlington Natural Areas, and um, and I remember the land steward at the Parks Department said to me something like, "The last thing I need is another outside group to manage." And I thought, "Okay, I hear you on that. So what do you need?" Um, and if you think the idea is valuable. So um, I think really being able to listen, really being able to um, be flexible and, and be really focused on what you think the issue is and how you can improve it rather than uh, committed to the structure you think will do it. That's Zoe Richards, the Director of Burlington Wildways. Thanks for coming on the show, Zoe. Thanks for having me. All right, that's our show for today. Huge thanks to my good friend Dwayne Peterson, who's helping me edit these podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the word out. Also, if there's someone in your community who has built something inspiring, send them our way. I'd love to talk to them. All right, we'll see you in a couple of weeks for episode five. Bye.